Welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by the Lithuanian Music Information Center. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be having conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. In this deep dive of exploration of the music of Marius Baranauskas, we look into intricate designs of speech analysis and innovative processes that characterize an unusually deep thinker from the richly complex solo instrument of a tam-tam to a full orchestra. We find an infinite set of possibilities of how to master the subtleties of timbre. In a live video call from Vilnius, Lithuania, we join Baranauskas for a deeply fulfilling conversation. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture for the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers On Air, and I really appreciate the time that you've taken to meet and discuss your music and ideas and I wanted to ask you as a first question, after listening to much of your music and trying to understand your ideas, I wanted to actually ask you about time and how you understand time and maybe how you relate or understand time in your compositional efforts, maybe even as a relationship to other areas of life. Thank you. I'm very honored to participate in this podcast. Yes, question of time. It's a very broad question, actually. And I think quite a lot while composing. In music, it's mostly about the form, the musical form. And yes, it's very important. Not exactly, not only the musical form, but the way you shape your composition inside that form. And it's one of the most important things because after you listen to the piece of music, any piece of music, then you have all the impressions in your head and it's very important how the flow of time, how it went and climaxes and other things. Yes, and on the other hand, if to talk about time, it's the other important question concerning time for me, it's the compositional process, the process of composing, which also involves time in very different way but still it's quite an independent process where i cannot control everything and i cannot control time completely let's say if i have three months to write a piece and i never know if i it will take me six months maybe or five who knows so it's kind of interesting aspect as well in the process of composing and also in concerning the process of composing still I spend a lot of time doing kind of nothing but still you work in, inside of you in your head in your imagination and it also takes the biggest part of all the time spent for composing that's also very strange and very insecure when you compose because you after some time you feel you've done nothing but still you almost spend all the time you had for your composition but this inner work is very important, I think, yes. Then after that, you can write the piece in, in a week or two 
well before that spending several months of kind of doing nothing but still doing a lot inside inside yourself maybe yes so you're living life if you have the awareness of a project or a compositional idea or a commission you're actually composing all the time you're thinking about it it's kind of going through your life and it's on your mind all the time and it's very interesting as a, a relationship to time and when you think about structure and compositional structure in particular and when you're working with time and memory because obviously when you're composing actually sitting down and writing notes you're reflecting a lot about all of those ideas that you had before maybe the months even and i'm wondering how you understand this intuition about applying the compositional work versus the rational structure and how you sort of compare the two yes it's also a very huge topic <laughs> yes we had conference a few years ago maybe which was called rationale i don't remember exactly the name it rational versus intuition yes these two extremes yes so on the one hand you have rationality on the other hand you have intuition and in my approach i try to to be somewhere in the middle between intuition and rational thinking yes you have a lot of intuitive work while you are still thinking and imagining music and it's all about intuition almost everything but when you start composing putting notes so you must have some rational things you must have some pre-planned things and quite a lot of them actually i usually make kind of a plan for all the main musical elements like form harmony change of timbres instrumentation and other things yes these are in a way planned things structured and that's where intuition and, and structure meets yes in a way i look i approach music kind of like more or less like architecture maybe yeah where you have you must have some project which works already at least you think it works it doesn't fall it's balanced and you try to balance all musical elements as much as possible so all this is quite rational thing rational work and then you apply your fantasy and you apply your imagination and then intuition and rationality meets in a way <laughs> somehow they meet together
and the actual rational application, of course, comes from all of the tools and techniques of the learning that you go through to learn, you know, the, the rudiments of composition and like you mentioned, rhythm and form and design, melody and other points of reference. In your music, there's also a very important feature that I think is distinct to you, and that is this idea of timbre. Now, there's the question of timbre, but there's also the question of language, because there are two different aspects of your life in your compositional structure. And maybe you could give a little bit of insight about this idea of how you incorporate or use timbre as a tool in your work. Well, first of all, timbre, of course, it's very important for me, really important thing. So one of the elements that I think about separately and how can I expose what timbres I can expose? How can I develop them? How can I change, renew? What new timbres can I put later on in composition? It's a very important aspect. On the other hand, I should probably speak about texts, which I try to use in some of my compositions to modify the timbre of music, let's say it musical instruments. Probably this fair. Sh should I comment a little bit about, about the t text transforming to music? Probably, yes. Yes, I think to be a little bit more specific on that part is about this, definitely this idea of speech analysis in your work. And maybe the idea of direct representation of the speech analysis. And then perhaps the process of how you transform that into, say, an orchestral realization. So I guess it's definitely about the process or the journey of how speech and language moves into instrumental reality. So maybe I should start from the point that for some reason I search for extra musical influences usually so it opens for me the imagination and when you have some other world not musical world and you try to bring it to music it's a challenge but on the other hand it's very refreshing and then you have to find some new solutions to do that and generally there are two things that influences me and give me inspiration. So one thing is text and working with text, which I will discuss a little bit more. And the other thing, very different, is working with parameters, generally working with the idea of space objects, stellar objects, like stars, galaxies, system of stars, and so on. So these are two very different things, but they both can influence music in, in kind of different way. So if to speak about the first one, text and music, this idea of transforming text into musical sounds, musical timbres mostly, came to me maybe about 20 years ago, almost quite a long time ago, actually. 
and the general idea is just to use text to, to attach several musical parameters to different letters or to be more precise phonemes of the text I don't use exact letters because letters not always represent one phoneme so I use the way text sounds it's different phonemes well I attach let's say let's take one phoneme which could be let's say letter E or phoneme E so I attach an instrument which for me sounds the most similar let's say it in the case of letter E it could be oboe or trumpet muted trumpet yes so we have already have some kind of timbre which is represented in orchestral instrument one orchestral in this case two orchestral instruments then I attach harmonic properties so this could be interval or some chord so in the case of letter E it could be it is unison and also I define the register because the register changes the timbre as we all know as well yes so in this case it would be the kind of middle register yes so and I made vocabulary we could call it vocabulary for each phoneme different musical properties which includes timbre interval or chord and the description of the register mostly this yes and I'm often asked if this approach is purely intuitive or even random to attach all these musical parameters or is it somehow objective in a way so I would say it's something in the middle actually I tried to find timbres which sound the most similar to the phonemes that I choose yes so in a way it's my decision which timbres I attach and which intervals on the other hand I try to find the most similar sounding instruments so actually I tried to represent quite directly the sounding of phoneme in the orchestral instruments
the question I have to follow up with this is we're working with language as a point of departure into this idea of structural phonemes and making sense of them. But I wanted to ask you also about language itself because you've worked with language creating vocal pieces as well. You've used Lithuanian language, you've used English in your work, you've also used German in your work, and maybe others that I don't know about. Is there a language when we discuss these relationships between vowels, consonants, and the way that they move through time that define these phonemes, is there a language that you favor or maybe prefer over another? I'm interested in, you know, why you would even choose one language over the other. Yes, I tried several languages. Started with Lithuanian, then there are several pieces based on English texts, also Latin and German. Very little of Latin and German, mostly English and Lithuanian. And I found out that English texts, they are a bit uncomfortable to transform into phonemes and then to put it into musical language. Possible and it's doable, and but it's slightly uncomfortable because the pronunciation varies a lot. Absolutely. And I think a lot of singers would agree. And a lot of, I think, listeners would agree that when they listen to English sung, it's very unclear. And part of the problem are these impure vowels and relationships. And I think it's also interesting that, you know, perhaps when you come from your mother tongue in Lithuanian language, you probably have a stronger force of intuitive understanding about the language or even these sounds where you can relate to them a little bit more effortlessly because when you start to think about the foreign language you're already translating in your mind and you're thinking in a more structural way or in a territory that might become unfamiliar and then you're already living in a transformational process so i definitely agree with you on the english and as a singer myself, I've always preferred the structures of European languages for the purpose of singing because of the purification of the vowels and the structures in them. Uh, whereas with English, there's a lot of problems with diphthongs and, and so on. Yes, absolutely. You're right, I think. And, but it's a technical question, actually. For me, it's not so important which language I choose because you get different phonemes, different vowels, and for sure you get different results from that. But anyway, if you don't hear the text, it's transformed, let's say it's transformed into instrumental music. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which language was it. It's, it's just uh, my own technical choice and, and that's it. And if I want to expose the text, I can show any translation I want, actually, because I don't think it's important to just to follow, to listen and follow each phoneme and to recognize what letter is this and what vowel maybe this could be. I even don't think it's possible. Maybe in some places it could be possible, but mostly not. So 
yes, it's, it's mostly a decision of technical decision of composing process. And yes, for me, it's easier to work with with a mother tongue. As you told, it's you feel connection and it's just easier. You don't have to transform anything. You already know that language and know the pronunciation and, and know how it sounds exactly. Yes. So I think the next obvious question would be, I was thinking about Leonard Bernstein's Harvard lectures on a musical sound and language. He uses language as a metaphor for what he understands as the stepping stones of meaning. So he starts with phonology, goes to syntax, goes to grammar, and then goes to what he calls meaning. So I find the process interesting intellectually, but when we talk about your breakdown of speech analysis and so on, then I guess the text content must be in some way important to you. And then I was thinking about titles of your pieces and perhaps, well, you mentioned the cosmos and so on, but also there seems to be other philosophical elements in your interest and they come through in your titles. Uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is Rabindranath Tagore. He, for those that are listening that don't know his history as a poet, and he was homeschooled in Calcutta. And he talks about hope and idealism and humanism, specifically in the light of periods of difficult history, witnessing a lot of the futility of his own efforts. And I often think about the abstract nature of a compositional process where, you know, there's a lot of what some people might think is just futile effort. A lot of it, there's certainly, maybe you spend an enormous amount of time to come up with a very small result. But I'm very interested to know with this language question about some of the inspirational texts or possibly the ideas that you have behind musical creation. Yes, you mentioned Tagore and he's the poet that inspires me a lot. And his short poems, they are very short, they are very spiritual and they have a huge deep meaning and they are a huge inspiration for me actually. That's why I used quite a lot of his texts for my music. And actually, I probably give him a credit for successful composition. <laughs> because without his poems, my music, some of my pieces, I think they probably would lack something deeper and be too superficial, maybe. But it's... I maybe could talk about different levels of connecting with text, yes, of using text, and they all are equally important. The first level I mentioned is just inspiration, which is very important to, for you to start doing something at all. So it's, it's the thing that gives you inspiration. The other level is the one I talked about transforming vowels, letters into sounds. The general sounding of the text. Tagore texts, they are very musical in a way, and they sound very good. They are originally, maybe they are not originally written in English, but he himself made translations into English, so that's how we can understand them. 
actually because in his mother tongue we will not be able to read and this is also very important that he himself translated these texts so the level of putting sounds how the text sound into music yes this is very important and another level is structural where you take the structure out of the text the length of words some rhythms any poem have some inner rhythm rhythmical elements inside and some proportions where we have a longer line and then shorter one and and so on and you have quite a lot of structural things that you can take out of the text and put it into your musical form musical phrases maybe musical segments of your composition shorter or longer and so on it's it's very interesting just to extract from the text as much as you can and connect it with a musical piece in different layers in different levels and then of course there's one more level when you write vocal music so then you can hear the text in the original well hear the text as text with meaning yes so it's then you have even one more level of connection with text.
Yeah, so language itself can be, yeah, much more direct in that sense, whereas the instrumental has to be interpreted. Now, with the instrumental, of course, you have more of a universal understanding because it's sound itself. And so this is an interesting idea of how you relate to sound itself. Sound exists, of course, in language, but sound exists everywhere. Sound exists. I know you have a family. You probably hear a, a symphony of sounds right where you live with uh, children growing up and so on. And the sounds of nature, perhaps, might have meaning to you. So the question of sound is also interesting for if you've participated in electronic music at all. And if you have a way to work with electronics in the sense of transformation of sound. And I just am interested in how you connect your understanding of sound in general to some of the forms and structures of the compositions. Sometimes people think of a composition as a journey going from a place of home into some type of tension and maybe a relaxation. But certainly it lives within sound itself. But I wanted to see if you could speak about sound in its most simplistic terms. Is there a way that you are tuning into, you mentioned earlier about ranges or yeah, ranges of an instrument say that would match speech. And so when you're thinking of frequencies in terms of creating an overall sonic atmosphere, is there something or some general relationship to sound that you think about when you were working with with music? Yeah, it's, it's quite a difficult question just to describe your relationship with sound. Sometimes you just do it intuitively and sometimes other people could describe it better while watching you. But for me, what could I say? Yes, I already spoke about this language. What else? Some environment may be influencing. Yes, nature you mentioned and other sounds. Actually, I, I don't feel any, me myself, I don't feel any, any exact influence from the environmental sounds. I'm sure there could be some, but in the process of composing, maybe the opposite. What I try to do is just to isolate myself and from everything around and then purify something in, inside of it, not from the outside, but from the inside. So it's maybe quite an abstract thing, but maybe the only situations where I was trying to work with some environmental sounds, except texts. So course electronic music where I usually tried to use live recorded sounds as much as possible to have connection with live situations yes with live sounds and not purely electronic synthesized sounds I dislike a lot synthesized sounds generally so my preference is live music live instruments and voice and everything that's natural so maybe a better question would be more of the evolution or historical exposure that you had of sound 
through instruments. I know that you have a piano background and at some point in a musical education, you of course begin to learn about what a, an instrument even sounds like, especially when you start learning about orchestral instruments. You know, most people certainly take a lot of time to learn about these distinctions between a clarinet and an oboe, or even in brass instruments, and how these types of instruments start to become of awareness in your life. Is there a particular instrument that really speaks to you as, let's say, reliable tool to express your feelings? I know that some people think of orchestra as a single instrument, but I think it takes many years to develop that perception where you're really mastering the orchestra. But, you know, strings, for example, becomes a generality too. But, you know, there's a lot of potential in a double bass that is almost an orchestra all by itself. So, I you know, I'm just wondering if, if there's any specific instrument or maybe a historical discovery of an instrument that was particularly inspiring to you from a sonic perspective that really maybe even changed your life yeah i was going to say orchestra but you already <laughs> yeah okay well generally uh, of course i have a piano background not very much i i was playing piano in music school and then not in music academy i studied already start studying composition in music academy yes kind of piano background and the first instrument maybe i tried exploring was voice and i was just amazed a lot how much it can do when I first heard some other ways of singing, not European, not this bel canto and other things that we know in classical music or in anything that we can hear now around, classical music, jazz, maybe pop as well. But the, when I heard some voices of different cultures, ancient cultures or some cultures still exist today in different regions of the world, I was just blown away what you could do with your voice. And it was probably the beginning of the journey into these timbre changes where you can, where you understand that you have one instrument and you have a huge amount of timbres and things that you can do with it and ranges. You can extend it very high and very low, unexpectedly low. Yes. So maybe this was the first thing that was a real discovery. And then, of course, after that, I start to explore orchestra, symphony orchestra mostly, and all the instruments. And as you told, actually, I feel orchestra as one multi-timbral instrument, more or less. It's like one for me at the moment. <laughs> yes. So, well, I've had a lot of investigation and composing and practice with orchestral music. I also teach orchestration in Music Academy and recently finished my doctoral thesis which is also about orchestra and orchestration and elements of orchestras so actually i at the moment last 10 years maybe or even 15 so i think and about orchestra listen to orchestral music write orchestral pieces quite a lot so it, it became kind of one instrument like the voice <laughs> 
voice with different possibilities. It's now the huge one, huge instrument with different possibilities. Yes. I wanted to ask you about your teaching because I'm interested in how you wake up the awareness of the younger students that have the least experience to an orchestral awareness and how do you basically inspire them. I know many young people are, in fact, this is something that's been on my mind a lot because I teach sound design at the college level here in, in New York. And there used to be, let's say, a standard expectation in higher education at the university or college level that you'd be working with academic development and academic ideas, which meant classical music. If you were going to be learning, there are classes of music appreciation, etc. But lately, in the past five to 10 years, it seems to be permissive and completely acceptable for students to come in with pop music and, or rock music and establish a academic validity to the understanding and just acknowledgement of it. And I'm wondering how you get the orchestral or even the, you know, the historical classical music into the students' minds in such a way that they become interested in it. They become maybe fascinated by it or 
become sparked by it so that they can apply what they're learning you know, to it. Because sometimes I doubt, at least for the, many of the young people, if you were to peek into their private lives, would they even be listening to orchestral music at all? Yeah, first, maybe I could say that not all students are interested in orchestral music, for sure. And the ones that are interested, they are mostly studying so-called academic music with academic background, which is not pop, not electronic, yes. So instrumental academic music. So in my classes, we actually, we need several things. First, we need some basic knowledge. It's necessary because otherwise you will understand nothing. Well, you can hear orchestral music, just enjoy it as music. But if you want to understand what happens there or, or write something, you, you must have knowledge about instruments, about basic things of orchestration and so on. So these are quite boring but important things. Then, of course, we do a lot of analysis, score analysis of different periods, starting with Mozart and finishing with 21st century. And there are a huge amount of amazing examples of how orchestra is used here, how orchestra sounds and how it can sound very differently. More or less the same orchestra, of course, it's changed during the years and centuries, but not extremely and not, it's changed slightly, I would say, a little. But the way composers use it changed a lot. And if you compare Ligeti, how he writes for orchestra, and then you listen to Beethoven, yes, both are great, but they sound very different using almost the same instrument called symphony orchestra. So if we listen and analyze a lot of different examples, then we just see the whole panorama of what could be done with symphony orchestra. And it's amazing because there are a lot of things that could be done, that was done already, a lot of different things. And I think there still can be done a lot of things that are not done yet. Yeah, probably. <laughs> we used to use the term in the English language, serious music, to represent classical music. And they don't use the term serious that much anymore because, again, the students will argue about what is serious, you know, because some people feel that they may have a strong emotional attachment to a pop music song that represents maybe an important event in their life, like falling in love or something. And then all of a sudden it becomes serious music. <laughs> so it, it's interesting. I wanted to avoid the question of influence because I think it's certainly an overused question in interviews like this. And it also pulls away the focus from you to somebody else. But I wanted to get a little bit more specific is to ask you, was there an important piece of music that was somehow especially important for your musical development? Was there a piece of music that you can remember that really changed your life or became extremely stimulating in a way that really woke up your compositional life? The decision to become a composer is a pretty serious decision and it, it must come from somewhere. 
and I'm imagining that it may have come from maybe a specific piece of music or maybe it's kind of a unfair question in the sense that it's like asking somebody, so what's your favorite song? There's too many songs, but maybe in the orchestral language, there's a piece of music that is particularly important to you. It's quite difficult to say, actually, in different periods, there were important composers and maybe important pieces, but not the single piece that changed my life, maybe. What I remember now is one piece that really amazed me and influenced me quite a bit. I'm not sure if it changed anything or maybe slightly, but I remember that impression. The piece was by Kaya Sarajevo, Du Cristal. And yes, I heard it in live performance in, in the festival and I just, I was just amazed how it sounded and how it, the textures, the, the general sound, the, how you just, it, it flows like lava and takes you together in this journey. Yes, I was amazed by that piece actually. I could mention it. It doesn't change my life, but it definitely influenced some kind of thinking to what I was I was a student at that time so yes it was the period of influences and it's one of them yeah maybe there were more but I'm not sure if I had if I should, should mention all <laughs> all of this yeah it could be quite a lot maybe one more yes okay maybe one more influence a bit earlier when I was also, I was a student, maybe first, second year, starting studying composition. I was really very impressed by Messian, Olivier Messian music, orchestral music. And I couldn't tell the exact piece. There are several that are, even not several, quite a lot of Messian music that I liked at the moment. And it really amazed me. And it was something in the middle between extreme uh, avant-garde and classical music, something in the very middle and with a very good balance between what I was learning in before in music school, that was mostly classical background. And then I started learning in music academy, a lot of avant-garde new things, 20th century and so on. And then it, I heard Messiaen, which was right in the middle, very, very nice and good example so yes
So there's this distinction between what we call accessibility and challenging your belief systems in, you know, listening to music. I always find this very interesting. You know, many of the younger students will get exposed to something which you mentioned avant-garde as a term, is something out of the central comfort zone of musical history. And so I find this very interesting, this challenge of really pushing the comfort zone into a place where you're allowing yourself to let go of what you expect and let go of some of the structures. I remember listening to John Coltrane's Ascension for the first time, which was breaking free from the simplicity of melody and the modal changes and the harmonic structure of the tune. And it was just completely blown apart. And I had a very hard time with it in the beginning, but over years, it became more and more accessible. And then when I got interested in contemporary classical music or uh, new music, as we call it, then now when I go back and listen to Ascension, it seems very easy to listen to and extremely accessible. But I wanted to ask you a final question. And the question is, what are you looking forward to? And what is in the, let's say, the near future of, of your music? Is it about plants or compositional ideas or? I think to be true to your nature and our conversation, I think it's appropriate maybe to ask you about the ideas. What are the current ideas that you have not yet realized but are very much thinking about? Actually, well, I could talk quite a lot or very, very briefly, but generally I have quite a lot of ideas and not all of them are connected with music, actually, because uh, I like taking photos, for example, art photos, yes, and other things except music, writing some texts just for myself, yes, and there are a lot of things some scientific papers, conferences, maybe even even some book based on my thesis about orchestration and connections between gamelan orchestra and symphony orchestra. But there is not enough time for everything. <laughs> this is a problem, at least at the moment, yes. If to be more precise about music composing, about uh, musical compositions, so yes, so well, I mostly like working with either orchestras or big ensembles, which has many timbres involved, many instruments, and or exploring uh, some separate instruments, which have some uh, possibilities to, which could have a lot of different timbres and playing techniques inside of, of it. For example, tam-tam. I just recently, about a year ago, I wrote a piece for orchestra and Tam Tam, and I found out that Tam Tam itself is kind of an orchestra inside of it. It's one instrument, but actually it's it has a lot of different sounds. It's almost cosmos inside. You can play with different objects. You can in different places of the instrument. So that's what I tried to explore together with real symphony orchestra. And generally, that's what 
interests me at the moment actually it's either orchestral possibilities or some potentially orchestral instruments <laughs> which could be for example tam-tam or, or even voice which also could be potentially orchestral in the meaning that it has a lot of timbres a lot of colors inside a lot of possibilities to transform it yes yeah, so very generally it's about this and then it meets with the reality who wants to play your music where you get some commissions maybe or something so it's both Speaking of Delta Tsefe, this piece that you wrote for Tam Tam and Voice. Yes, actually there are two pieces. Delta Tsefe is for Tam Tam and Cello. And Al Radif was the, the other rest, yes. Actually, they are based on the similar material. But first I wrote Delta Tsefe with for Tam Tam and Cello, amplified cello and Kind of explored what's inside of tam tam and cello as well especially when it's amplified and and you can draw very little things out of it very soft things and then yes and then the, another alredive for tam tam and orchestra 
they're both interestingly almost exactly the same length. One is 13 minutes, one is 12 minutes. There's a common length. There's a lot of pieces you've written about this length, something like 12, 11, 12, 13 seems to be a comfortable length. Have you thought about any longer forms or have you explored long forms for new ideas? Yes, you're right. I don't know how it happens, but yes, actually I, I saw it too. <laughs> 12 minutes is, is the, the middle. It's more or less 12, 13 minutes, the, the length of my pieces almost all the time. Yeah. So actually there are some, maybe the longest one is about eight, 18 minutes up to 20 probably. Yes. So yeah, it, it depends. I, if I get commissioned for some big piece, long piece, for sure I, I will do it but it doesn't come from me from inside of me I don't need this huge amount of time just to, to express what I want so probably it, it somehow happens naturally yes until it happens naturally I do it naturally if somebody comes and tells me write a piece one hour long why not for sure I look forward to all the future projects and all the new pieces. And it has been a real joy to speak with you today. And I want to thank you so much for participating in this podcast. And I hope to meet with you in person soon. Thank you. Thank you. It was great uh, to speak with you and discuss such a different things. Quite Some of them quite complicated. Some, some of them maybe not so complicated, but... Yeah, but it's it's not always that I think about these things and, and now it was possibility just to, to rethink what I am doing. Maybe it will also influence somehow and introspection, yeah. <laughs> so so thank you, thank you. It was great just to, to think once again about these different aspects of, of music. Mm -hmm.